first off, I just want to I just want to say this. Um, I really, really love what God's doing here. He's been doing a lot of reshaping, a lot of building on what's been built here um, from the very beginning. And we do have an exciting season ahead of us. We've gone through a lot of hard work together as a church body, a lot of transformation, a lot of financial challenges that we are responding to because we're partnering with Jesus. So I just want to say I'm just really proud of, of the job that everyone is doing here as the body of Christ. So that being said, uh, we're continuing, or excuse me, we're ending our series today on the Divine Scrapbook in which we have been talking about the picture of God. And it's been for me um, and for Sharon and Mark uh, um, uh, just an exciting, um, insightful series. And, you know, we, we're able to get into it a little bit more than everyone else because we're studying it, we're saturated in it, and the things that we're seeing is just amazing. And so those of you that are, are kind of new here, understand that where we've been going is looking at Scripture and looking at the different people Jesus, Jesus encounters and what picture does that encounter paint of Jesus. Because what we like to do without knowing it, some of us, uh, is make God in our own image. So we take our experiences, we take uh, what we think we know of God, and we paint this picture. And oftentimes, it's, it's a little, if not a lot, skewed from who Jesus really is. And it's not like we're trying to do that. It's not like we're like, you know what? I don't like this Jesus. Let's make up a new one, right? Some people do that. But that's not what we're talking about here. It's we really think, you know, um, legitimately that that we are really moving uh, in his presence, or we really think when we read scripture that this is what Jesus is or who Jesus is, and we'll use scripture. I've met a lot of people that will use scripture for their own benefit, and, and will project a Jesus that's not really Jesus. And I've done that. Has anyone else done that other than me? Confession time. See, not in heads, but no one wants to go public here. There we go. So it has been a wonderful journey moving in and out of these, these pictures that, that Scripture paints. Now, but we're going to be doing this our entire lives. Do you understand that? God is so big. He's so big that only he can paint a picture of himself. And he does that, and we said this from day one, and I told you on day one, this is going to be repetitive. So the moment you're annoyed by how many times you're hearing this, it probably means you're getting it. Okay, so we're going to continue in this. But Jesus Christ is the perfect, the absolute perfect, let me say that again, the absolute perfect image of God. Who God is, is seen in the embodiment of Jesus Christ. And what we like to do without necessarily intentionally doing it, is change that picture because God is so big. He is so big that when life comes our way with tough, tough, challenging moments, We've, we somehow go into survival mode and we've got to paint a picture of God that makes sense to us that we can kind of get our heads around. Because the unknown is terrifying. I mean, who loves the unknown? There are some who love the unknown. Who loves the unknown? Who absolutely hates the unknown? Raise your hand. Control freaks, come on. Right? A lot of us, we don't like that. We don't like what's not going to happen. But guess what? That's why... 
The Holy Spirit is here to help ignite our faith so that we can go where Jesus leads us because it's going to lead us in places we can't comprehend. But because of fear, because of the things the enemy will throw our way, we feel like we've got to take this wonderful, perfect Jesus, the perfect image of God, and make him something he's not. So we feel like we have some control over a situation we ultimately don't have control over. I mean, that's really what it boils down to, and everyone has done it at one time in their life. But if we're going to move forward into the great blessings that God has for us at Bridgewood, we have to understand the Jesus we worship and we love so much. We have to begin to see that picture. Um, It's interesting because we live in a time where technology is everywhere, okay, and I'm a younger guy, but I, anyone that knows me will tell you I am terrible with technology. I mean, I can only handle any. I mean, the most advanced technology I can handle is Nintendo. Two buttons. One, two, one, two. Now you got like 50 buttons, right? You use all this stuff. And what happens is we get so obsessed with things like this that are just, you know, they give us escape. Do they not? And I'm going to be honest with you, this, this weekend was a tough weekend for me. And it wasn't like anything catastrophic happened. It was just everything annoying that you like to avoid in life, just little stupid annoying things, all happened at the same exact time. Same exact time. So yesterday, first free Saturday in months, and I'm going, I'm going to do nothing. Now, wonderful? When you have a day that rare time, I'm going to do nothing. And so my car breaks down. My garage door breaks. Um, some other things happen. And then some other things happen. And then my wife's pregnant. And so she's feeling uncomfortable and I'm whining. And she's like, well, (laughs) welcome to my world. She didn't really say that, but the look is worth a thousand words, right? But everything seemed to go right. And I was so discouraged. So when I got home from everything, guess what I wanted to do? I took this out. I sat on the couch and I wanted to do nothing. I didn't want to talk to another human being. I didn't want to see another human being. You ever feel like that? You have those situations like, I hate people today. (laughs) I love them, but today I'm going to choose to hate them. Don't talk to me. Stay away from me. And so I'm here. And I'm only seeing what's on my phone, which was like Candy Crush, which makes you dumber. Okay? (laughs) And I'm sitting there. Sharon's looking at me because she's like on level 500 or something. So she's like, what are you saying about me? And so I'm sitting there and I'm just getting lost because I don't want to deal with the reality of what's happening. Because if I do, the Lord's going to speak and then the Lord is going to encourage me. The Lord's going to stretch me. I'm going to learn something I didn't know before. And that takes a lot of work. (laughs) And I want to be right here. But isn't that what we do with God? This is my making him in my own image. I'm trying to take control of my reality in such a way that doesn't stretch me too far into the unknown. Because if I do that, it's unknown. But it's not. Because if we really have a proper picture of Jesus, we know that he says this, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It might get tough, but I'm with you in the midst of it. I'm with you in the midst of it so that you can see me. And one guy that gets this so well is the Apostle Paul. And we talked about this weeks ago. And we're going to talk a little bit more about um, a letter he wrote in uh, 2 Corinthians. But he's the guy that gets it. 
And guess what? If, if Jesus can love that guy, he can love you. That's one thing. And so, um, but he gets this. He, he paints this picture. He says, the picture, if there's anything I leave you with, it's this. Jesus Christ crucified. Because what that represents is something that no one here can comprehend. We can talk about it. We feel glimpses of it. But guess what? When, when Jesus says you get to spend eternity with me, it means this. You get to spend eternity exploring how big and how great is my love for you. That's eternity. That's a great eternity. That is a, I mean, whew. And so what we're going to see here in 2 Corinthians, just to set up the context before we get into it, is that Paul, this is one of Paul's most passionate letters. And I don't mean exhortation and vigor. What I'm talking about is the deep burden of tenderness, of concern for a group of people. And at this time, when he writes this letter to the church in Corinth, there are, there are people that oppose Paul that are going to the churches that God planted through him and trying to sow discord and get people against Paul and ultimately against Jesus. And so Paul sends Timothy there he, to, to help bring correction. And people begin to repent. But there's still a minority that are causing all this discord. And because they have a very specific picture of God that is contrary to the one that we see in Jesus. Now remember, in the Hebrew culture back in that time, it was very legalistic. There was a consequence for everything, good or bad. There was a major consequence. You do this, you're blessed. You do this, we're going to stone you to death. Yee. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, one of the things that he does is that he is able to sit in the tension that we are not very good at doing. So if you look at the world around us, the culture around us, when you look at Jesus, you can really, there is some middle ground, but you can really divide the people into two camps. You have this really fire and brimstone legalistic kind of thing. You do this, nah, you're out. You do that, uh-uh, you're out. You do that, oh, shame on you. And then you have the other one where Jesus loves you, man, like that Jack Sparrow kind of thing. It's, there's, you know, there's no standards because Jesus loves you. Well, true, Jesus loves you, but Jesus himself is a standard. And so what he does, what we see in scripture, and this is why we've been going through the series, is that he sits in the tension of those two. So he is the embodiment of the best of those things. That's why he says, I am the fulfillment of the law, because if you are in me, you don't have to worry about what you're going to do and not do because you're going to go where I go. And if you go where I go, you're going to do the things I do. And so this is the Jesus Paul is, is trying to preach and people, people in Corinth are trying to push this out. And this is a great book and it was really hard to not want to do like 10 chapters of this today. But we'd be here forever. But if you'd open your Bibles, or you can follow along. Well, first, I forgot this. Is that we often make God, in our own image, I can make God say anything I want him to. Right? We do that. And that's what the people in Corinth were doing. They were, in, in 1 Corinthians, this is what was happening. People were living the lifestyle they wanted to live while proclaiming Jesus. They were making God in their own image. And so Paul says this. 
and 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God. And all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. And verse 4, this is very important. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the what? The exact likeness, the exact image of God. Let me read verse 4 again. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So Jesus is for us, and who's against us? We see it clearly here. We see it clearly. And Paul is calling the enemy out. And the enemy is very crafty. A lot of people go, the enemy's bringing his big guns. He doesn't need to bring his big guns. Because all he needs to do is distort your image of God just a little bit, and you'll continue down that road if there is not interference through the Holy Spirit. And guess what? We'll miss him. So the enemy is just sitting back. But something that we forget is the enemy has been defeated because of the perfect image we see of Jesus on the cross. He's done. He's out. And all he's trying to do is pick off people as he's going down. That's really what it is. And so what we see here is Paul calling it out. I love Paul because he speaks directly, but he speaks with such grace and mercy and tenderness in the midst of his boldness. So he calls this out. And one of the things that's intriguing to me is that Satan, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. What does it mean when we hear he has blinded the minds? What does that mean? Go ahead. What does that mean to you? They don't understand, okay? They can't see. How does he do it? Distraction. What else? What? Tricks. Lies. Tricks. Lies. Yeah, he tells a lot of lies. But he only needed one. He only needed one. And we see that in chapter 3 of Genesis. Most of us know this, but he only needed one. And so one we've been believing for a long, long time. We see this in chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat, God said. God, excuse me, God said, you must not eat it or ever touch it. If you do, you will die. Here's the lie. Here's the trick. You won't die. You won't. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You will be like God. This is where we first see 
we first see humanity making God in their own image. Because we think we're lacking something. We think we need something more. But only God can be God. Only Jesus can be Jesus. Only Jesus can do what Jesus did. The enemy knows that. But all he had to do was for a moment sow a little bit of doubt, saying maybe we could. And now you have this pattern of us making God in our own image. And we're miserable when we do that, are we not? I remember times yelling at God in my car. I even did it this morning. Or yesterday, excuse me. I did it yesterday. And blame everything on him. And I refuse to, to, to do that anymore because what's happening, what we see here, is we wanted something more than something that we couldn't possibly fathom. See, the enemy didn't have to do much, did he? Look at the state we're in because of one temptation. But guess what? Those who are redeemed, look at the state you're in because of what Jesus did in response to that. Now we are free. We're living in him. He is the perfect picture Who's here last week? So you heard the amazing sermon from Mark Spencer. One of the things that just got me was that he painted us, almost physically, a perfect picture of Jesus. Because of this, okay, God makes good out of everything. Because of this, we see something so beautiful. Mark came up to here to this pulpit. As if he were Jesus and this was a sinner. And think of, you know, when you think of sin, sin is sin. Sin separates us from God. Because we feel that. When you sin, do you feel great? No. Because for a moment, you've stepped outside of who he is. Out of his character. And so you feel that. And so what we see in Jesus is the cross, on the cross, Mark says this, if that's me and that's, that's me, the sinner, he says, no, you cannot have him. I've died for this person. I love this person. You cannot have him. That is Jesus, the representation of God. That is the perfect embodiment. And so my question is, are we going to allow ourselves to be embraced? Are we going to allow ourselves to experience the fullness of his love and his grace and his mercy? Because he's not here like this. He's here like this. Holding you. Loving you. When he saw Paul on the road to Damascus, it should have been like this according to our logic, but it wasn't. It was, I'm going to use you to bless the world. And if it weren't for what Jesus did and Paul, you and I wouldn't know Jesus because he was the one who first preached the good news to the Gentiles, and that's us. Unless you're Jewish. It's the Gentiles. But it's so interesting how easy we can hear that and be convicted by it and then just brush it off and say, no, I'm going to be here. You know, they tell me as a parent you're going to make mistakes. Man, I learned that quick. <laughs> My daughter's two, and I'm like, I wish I could go back to that time, that time, that time, that time. I mean, who's been there? Right? <laughs> You're like, man, I can't take that back. 
And I remember I was working on my message one evening. And this was all caught on video. I didn't know Shanna was videoing this. And there's no way I'm showing it to you. And I'm sitting on the floor, which is my think spot. If I'm not moving, I'm usually always moving, as you know. And so I'm sitting there on the floor with my iPad, reading the scriptures, going through, doing what I feel I'm supposed to do. Because in that moment, my picture of God is this. I need to do this task because he asked me to, and everything else needs to go away. The only thing that matters is my preparation right here, right now. So I'm going like this. And my wonderful daughter, who's full of life and energy, she said, Daddy, Daddy, play. Daddy, play. I didn't even hear it. All you saw in the video was me go like this. And Shanna showed me the video, and I began to weep. I began to weep because my picture of God was all about the task, and it wasn't about the relationship. It became all about the task, and not about the relationship, and I almost missed a a moment with my daughter because my picture of God wasn't where it needed to be. And I eventually saw her and, and played with her and all that stuff. And I'll tell you, as a parent, your kids teach you stuff. They drop knowledge on you at like one and two and three and four, and you feel like an idiot. How did I not see this? And so it continued I continued to learn these things from her. And the first was this, in that moment, is that God never does this. Because we, our picture of God sometimes makes it seem like he doesn't want to bother with me. Or my sin's too great. Or he's so busy. He's got other things. To, I've heard all kinds of garbage like that. And I've said all kinds of garbage like that. But guess what? He's always here. He's always here. There's a reason why we have that passage of the prodigal son, because it doesn't matter how far we go, he's always waiting to embrace us. There's a never this. There's only this. And so, Gracie, my daughter, continued to take me to school this weekend, actually. We have any Star Wars geeks? It's okay. Be honest. I love it. Thank you. Can any of you Star Wars geeks tell me what came out on Friday? The teaser trailer of the brand new one that has all the original cast. For Star Wars geeks, it's a big deal. Okay? Huge deal. Huge deal. So I'm really excited to watch this trailer. I'm like waiting for it to come out on iTunes. I'm like checking every five minutes. It's a really sad scene. (laughs) And I sit down. I have it on full blast. I'm in my think spot. And I'm watching it. And there's nothing bad in it because it's a teaser, right? I mean, it's just like you get left wanting. But Gracie hears all this, you know, all this stuff and the ship's flying and all this. And she comes running over. And I think for a moment, is this okay for a two-year-old to watch? Nah. So I have her sit up and I say, watch this. And she's like, after it's all done, she goes, Star Wars? I said, that's my girl. Star Wars. So all weekend since Friday, every time I encounter Star Wars, Star Wars, can we watch Star Wars? Can we watch that clip? I've watched it like 50 times. And she gets scared every time there's a pop-out scene or whatever, every time. And she's watching, it's like she's watching it for the first time. Now think about that for a second. She's seen it 
She knows it, but she responds as if she's seen it the first time. So then I thought, well, if she's reacting to this, she's going to love the original. She's going to love some of the clips. Now, this is her first impression was that one preview. And guess what happened? I show her these other ones that were safe to show her. And she goes, no, I don't want that. I want the big Star Wars. I want the real one, the one I knew, the one I met first. Because guess what? We may reflect the image of the enemy sometimes, but you were created in what image? The image of God. That's the first thing. That's our first impression. Gracie told me, I don't want the puny gods that we make God to be. I want the big one. I want the one that blew my mind. I want the one that I can see every time. I may see him every day, but it's a new experience for me. I'm still taken back. There's still awe. There's still shock. And I'm still amazed. Because if you think you've got Jesus figured out, then you have the wrong picture of Jesus. Because Jesus will live and move and breathe in the areas you're afraid to go because it's unknown. And he goes, I live there because I own all of it. I know all of it. And when you step into me, when you walk with me, I'm going to navigate those waters with you. And it may be hard and you might be tired, but you're going to see a blessing, a sweetness of my embrace that you will never see anywhere else. And it will be new and it'll be wonderful every day because God says my mercies are new every morning. So every time you approach him, it's It's not, oh, it's the same old God I had yesterday. No, he blows our minds if we allow him to. If we allow him to. I'm going to have my daughter preach next week. Because she only says a few words, and I'm on my face crying. I want the big one. I want the real thing. And we at Bridgewood cannot fall victim to a fabrication of the real thing anymore. And that's just to say we all do. But guess what? Together, God is doing so many wonderful things here, so many wonderful things. And it's, it's, a, it's a blip of what he's gonna do. If we continue to walk together in the true image, in the true picture of God, if we do that together, wonderful things are gonna happen. We are the bride of Christ. Think about that. Think about how, what kind of intimacy is expected in a marriage, and multiply that by infinity. We are the bride of Christ. So if we are to be the bride of Christ, we better know the groom. We better know the picture of Jesus. We better understand that this is the greatest picture of God we will ever see. And I've said it before, I've shown it, that, that right there, we're going to look at it again, because every day it should it should make us stand in awe. We should be, even though we've seen it over and over and over again. God is so big that that's going to speak something new. It's going to speak something even more powerful than it did the last time because that's the God we serve. Only one God could do what he did. Only one. Only one. I want to end with this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. And just, I want you to close your eyes and just listen. With that image of the cross. 
in your minds. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made his light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is seen in the image of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is seen in the image of Jesus Christ. When we go, when we leave this place, the image we should be walking in in the midst, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pains, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of joy, in the midst of love, in the midst of relationships, should always be that. That should always be the image. And the enemy is going to try and distort that image, but he can do it no longer because he has no power of the people of Christ because we walk in Christ. And there is no power that can take us out of the love of God. None. None. That is the perfect image of God the Father. Right there is the perfect, perfect, perfect image. Who never does this, but only does this. Now, we may know this, we may have heard this, but we're going to hear it again because it's who he is. It's what we need to get. It's what we need to continue to go after, engage, and pursue with reckless abandon. We need to pursue, 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 pursue. Because if we don't get this, then who cares about our plans for 2015? If we don't get the love of Christ, if we don't get that image, that picture of who he is, then none of the other stuff matters because it's only going to be built on our own agenda and our own picture of God that's distorted. But if we move in this, if we live in this, then our expectations won't be met. They'll be destroyed by God's reality. And it will be a blessing we can't possibly comprehend because it's so great. It's so great. Join me in prayer, please. Lord, you are so good. And we sit here very aware of your presence and your movement. And all of us here come from all different walks of life and are sitting here in these chairs in a different place than everyone else around us. We have different experiences, joys and pains that have shaped and molded us into who the who we are today. And we often use those experiences to paint a picture of who you are. As if we're the the artist. If we're the one that creates. But we are not. You are the artist. You're the painter. You're the one that creates. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would reignite that you would refresh our sense of awe about who you are. And I thank you that we have eternity to attempt to comprehend your love. I thank you that we have eternity to experience it. 
It's not about the do's and don'ts. It's about who you are and who you want to be in us, who you want us to be in you. It's about that relationship. So I just pray in Jesus' name that you would remove those things that would trick us from the enemy, those things that would seed in lies. So I just pray in the name of Jesus, if there's any lies anyone's carrying, I remove those, I break those off in Jesus' name. I break those off in Jesus' name. With all the authority that we have in Jesus Christ, we break those lies off and ask God that you would speak truth and breakthrough into our lives so that we can look at you and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are the only one worthy to be praised. I lay it all down. All of it's yours. All of it's yours. And I would say this um, to everyone here. Jesus cannot be on your priority list. He can't be on your priority list. He has to be the one who creates your priority list. Because the moment we put him on a list is the moment we've made him smaller than he is. And we do it with good intention, but it's not big enough. And so, Lord, we want to see how big you are. We want the real thing. We want the big God. We want the big Jesus, and that's who you are. And so I pray that... um, we would see you as you are as we enter this time of offering. We're yours. Everything we have is yours. And I pray that would be reality as we continue to give our tithes and offerings, as we continue to give our time, our relationships, our money. It's all yours. It's all yours. So we just simply say, Lord, in this moment that we have right now, no matter what happened before we got here, We ask that this would be a time of tenderness and joy, a time we connect with you so that when we leave this place, we feel invigorated, ready to continue to engage you, to continue to go deeper in who you are. So we just thank you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much that you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen.